Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1, says this. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then we'll skip to verse 18. It says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed hears, bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants had said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, Till it was all leavened. So let me tell you about two of my favorite restaurants. The first is Chef's Restaurant. Anybody been to Chef's Restaurant before? Um, been there a number of times, grew up going there, been there on special occasions. And if anyone from Chef's is listening, I expect a free spaghetti parm for, for mentioning this in my sermon. But I've gone there, you know, d dozens and dozens of times, still go there on occasion for special occasions, really enjoy their food. That's the first place. The second is uh, Papaleo's Pizza. Anybody been to Papaleo's uh, over Niagara Falls? I grew up right up the street from there, and so that was kind of our place that we would go get pizza. And so we've been going there for, for years, really like their pizza. And a uh, couple of years, several years ago, I remember for whatever reason, I was on the Internet, and I came across reviews for chefs and for Papaleo's. Now, to me, these were kind of like my favorite restaurants, and so I love their food, and I'm thinking they're going to have like 4.5, five-star uh, five ratings. And I looked, and I was surprised that they didn't have that great of ratings. It was like three and a half stars, and there were some people that were like, oh, yeah, I really love their food, uh, but other people were like, well, I went there, and they served me this hockey puck and called it dinner, and I'll never go back there again. It was just awful. 
I'm like, this is weird, you know, because, you know, when I go away on vacation or whatever, I look at reviews and, like, what do people say about these restaurants? And, you know, usually I try to find ones that are, you know, have good ratings. So, like, chefs or Pavelier's are a place I probably wouldn't go because they have, like, really mixed reviews. But to me, they're my favorite, you know, some of my favorite restaurants. And I remember thinking to myself, like, how can I enjoy their food so much and other people just hate it? And I'm thinking, like, is there something wrong with me? Like, maybe it's not really that good. Maybe, like, I enjoy food that's not, not good. And, uh, you know, you think about that, and I think that's kind of similar to what some people may have thought about Jesus. Now, Jesus comes, and he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's preaching uh, a message of salvation and how people can find their hope in him and, and teaching about this new life in the kingdom of God. But not everyone buys into it. Not everybody loves Jesus. Not everybody enters into the kingdom of God. And so for people who are following him, there may have been questions of like, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he's bringing this kingdom that changes everything, why are there so many that reject him? Especially people who are religious people, people who they thought had it all together. And sometimes maybe we ask those same questions. You know, if Jesus is who he says he is, if he offers forgiveness of sins and a, and a home in heaven and hope for today, then why wouldn't everybody want to accept him? Some of us, maybe we come from families where maybe we're the only Christian in our family. And maybe we think to ourselves, like, what is wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me that I see the value in Christ and I love Christ and have entered into a relationship with him, but nobody else sees that value? Well, Jesus is going to answer kind of the, that, that question here and a couple other questions. But that first question is, why do some people reject? Why are there varying responses to Jesus in the kingdom of God? And Jesus tells us it's because of the state of their hearts. And uh, he gives this parable of the sower, which is probably uh, better called the parable of the soils. Um, because it's not really as much about the sower as it is about the different soils. And, and note in this parable that there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is the same no matter what the soil is. There's nothing wrong with the seed, seed representing the word of God, uh, the word of the gospel, and there's nothing wrong with the seed. You know, it goes to each of the soils, and, and, and the word of God, the word of the gospel is good. But the problem is the state of men and women's heart. You know, in thinking about this parable, you know, as a pastor, I've kind of seen this played out just like, Basically, on a daily basis, I see people uh, fit into one of these categories, and it's very, very true to life uh, that this is kind of the response that people have uh, to the gospel. And so there's four responses that Jesus highlights. The first is uh, the seed that falls along the path. These are people uh, whose hearts are hard. Uh, the gospel hasn't penetrated the inner reaches of their heart. These are people in your life who maybe have no interest in the gospel. Uh, the gospel never connects with them. They hear the gospel, but they're not interested. Uh, maybe they uh, just have a life that's going pretty well, and they just don't feel any need for Christ. Maybe they've had things happen in their life where they're, they're just angry at God, and so they don't want to consider the claims of Christ. Um, maybe some are, are not really opposed to the gospel. They just kind of put off the claims of, of Jesus. Maybe they think about, well, I'll, I'll think about that later. I'm just living my life now. These are people who maybe you've invited to church for years, but always come up with a reason why they can't come. These are people who are not open to the gospel. Uh, there was an Indian uh, missionary 
uh, named uh, Sadhu Sunhar Singh. And he wrote a book called Wisdom of the Sanhu. It was over 100 years ago, and it's remarkable how, um, how it's something that's dated, but it's, it's applicable uh, today as much as it was when he wrote it over 100 years ago. He said this, Once when I was in the Himalayas, I was sitting upon the bank of a river. I drew out of the water a beautiful round stone and smashed it. The inside was dry. The stone had been lying a long time in the water, but the water had not penetrated the stone. It's just like that with the Christian people of the West. They have for centuries been surrounded by Christianity, entirely steeped in its blessings, but the master's truth has not penetrated them. Christianity is not at fault. The reason lies rather than the hardness of their hearts. Materialism and intellectualism have made their hearts hard. So I'm not surprised that many people in the West do not understand what Christianity really is. I mean, we're surrounded in an environment where uh, the gospel is easily accessible. We've, we live in a culture where God's word is e more accessible than it ever has been in the history of the world. And yet some of us, our hearts are hard. And as believers, sometimes um, the greatest thing that we can do for people whose hearts are hard that fall in this first camp is, is praying for them. You know, and assuming we've shared uh, God's love with them, um, shared the gospel with them. Uh, the only thing we can do is pray for them and seek to show the love of Christ to them, seeking to, to show them what Christ's love looks like tangibly. And so that's kind of the first, uh, the first response to Jesus. There's some that their, their hearts are hard. Satan comes and steals away that word. They don't consider uh, the word of God. And so um, that's the first uh, stage. The second is the seed that falls on the rocks. Those who fall on the rocks, their hearts aren't rooted. Jesus said the seed that fell on the rocky soil immediately sprung up. We're not sure exactly why it immediately sprung up, but it springs up faster than the other uh, seeds that are planted. And these are people who come to faith in Jesus, and they are so pumped about coming to Jesus. Uh, they're people who share their faith. They're people who want to read God's word. They're people who want to serve in uh, many different areas. They're people who want to join community groups. Uh, they're just enthusiastic about the gospel. And they, you just see this incredible growth in them. And for some, you know, this can last for several weeks. Some, it can last for several years. And so they'll have this great enthusiasm for Christ and the gospel. But then something will come in their lives Maybe it's a, a tragedy. Maybe they'll lose somebody um, that was valuable to them. Maybe they'll uh, become really sick. Um, maybe they'll encounter persecution for the gospel. Uh, maybe Christ will just ask them to do something difficult. And something will come into their life, and it's just going to jolt them. They'll be like, what am I doing? Like, I thought if I followed Christ, then I wasn't going to have to worry about my money anymore. I mean, I thought if I followed Christ, then... You know, I wouldn't have to worry about my kids' health anymore. I thought if I followed Christ, then I wouldn't deal with anxiety anymore. And they have this great enthusiasm, but it's not rooted in a relationship with Christ. They think it's about, you know, a material gain. They think it's about material gain. And so they start to lose interest in their faith. Sometimes quickly, sometimes it takes some time, but they start to lose interest in, the, in, the, in their faith and just like the sun scorches uh, a plant that doesn't have root, their faith withers away. Because they didn't really understand the gospel. They were enthusiastic about it, but they didn't really understand what it was. It hasn't penetrated the deep re recesses of their heart. They don't have deep roots. Uh, I had the esteemed privilege of uh, 
digging out several trees in my life. It's not fun. But uh, years ago, I was at my old house. There was this big tree. It was an arborvitae tree. And it was kind of covering up our kitchen window. It just kind of got an out of control, just really big. It's about probably nine feet tall, about three feet wide. And so we're like, we should, we should get rid of this. This is kind of taking, uh, taking over the garden bed. Um, so I went to, to start digging it out. And I'm thinking, like, this, this could be difficult. It is a big, strong, healthy tree. There wasn't anything wrong with it. And you know how long it took me to take it out? Like 10 minutes. I mean, it was so easy to take out because it didn't have deep roots. Just had to kind of dig around and pull it out, and that was it. Then there was this other little bush at the house that I'm living at now. And when we moved there, it was kind of, it wasn't doing that well. I'm not really sure what kind of a plant it was. It might have been some kind of lilac or something. It wasn't doing very well, and so I wanted to plant a pear tree there. And so I went to, to, to dig this out, and I'm thinking this is going to take me like 10 minutes. And this sucker's roots just went down into the ground. And, I mean, it's huge. And, and, you know, it's just this little bush, and it's got these ginormous roots. And I just keep digging and digging and digging and digging. And at one point I thought to myself, like, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I have to give up. Like, I don't, maybe this, this little bush is going to defeat me. It didn't look like much on the surface, but the roots went deep, and so you couldn't uproot it. And the same thing is true with faith. If we have roots that run deep, when the sun comes, it can't scorch us. We can't be uprooted by the things of this world. And so that's the, the second response to Jesus. Some seed falls on the rocks, hearts that aren't rooted in Christ. And then there's the, the seed that falls among the thorns. And this represents hearts that are conflicted. This is the place where many in the church in the United States find themselves to, committed to Christ but they're also committed to their own pleasure, their own uh, hedonistic desires. They're distracted by the things of life. They're distracted uh, by the rat race. They, they want to follow Christ, but they also want to become wealthy. Uh, they're, also fo- they're focused on this world rather than the life to come. Note that they still might be alive, but they're not doing anything. They're not bearing fruit. They're useless. And note what happens when the Thorns are taken away. Let's say that you have a plant that's growing up through thorns. Now, if you take the thorns away, um, if it's a young plant, it's probably going to be okay. It's probably going to survive. But let's say that 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 plant has been living amongst the thorns for an extended period of time. What's going to happen if you take those those thorns away? Most likely, it's going to fall over and it's going to die because it's been relying on those thorns to support it. It doesn't have the strength in itself. It's shooting up through those thorns and leaning on those thorns to survive. And the same thing is true uh, for people in this category. Sometimes, you know, their hearts are conflicted. They want to follow Christ, but they also want to, you know, live their best life now. And they're kind of conflicted in those two things. And then somehow the support is taken away. You know, maybe they lose their job. Maybe they, you know, encounter some difficulty in their life. And then there's a choice whether their, their roots are going to go deeper, they're going to survive, they're going to thrive, they're going to produce fruit, or they're going to wither away and die. And so you'll see people in this category, it's, it's common uh, in our country, people whose hearts are conflicted. They want to follow Christ, but they also want to live for themselves. And then finally we have the good soil. Hearts that are rooted in Christ. 
These are people who are devoted to Christ and have roots that run down, run down deep, and the result is, is growth. And you know, you think about the good soil, and it's you know interesting that you know I think about people in my life who I would identify as that good soil who who take God as His word, who believe in the gospel, where the gospel has taken root. And it doesn't mean that their lives are perfect. It doesn't mean that the growth is always even. Sometimes those people experience doubt and difficulty. There's a farmer uh, named Tim Myers, and he's done something incredible. Uh, he decided that he was going to become a farmer in Alaska. And the, the tricky part about it is that while there's good soil up there in Alaska, it's frozen a good deal of the year. And so through some in, in, innovative um, farming practices and a lot of hard work, he's able to harvest crops on this ground that's often fro frozen. He's called a permafrost farmer. You know, and think about that, that image and uh, those who have good soil, those who take God and his word, sometimes that growth stalls. Sometimes that growth isn't even. Sometimes that growth is difficult, but there's always growth there. When people believe the gospel, when the gospel runs deep in their lives, when there's good soil, there's always going to be difficult, or there's always going to be growth, even in difficult times. Jesus said sometimes it's 30-fold, sometimes it's 60, sometimes it's 100. The amount of the growth isn't as much as there's growth happening. There's fruit that's being produced. And you can really see that in people's lives. You can see the fruit in their life uh, when they believe God and the gospel has run deep in their life. It doesn't matter what uh, ministry you're, you're doing, you'll see these four types of people um, in the ministry. And the difference is not the gospel, it's the same gospel, but it's sowed in different soils. And so that's the first thing that Jesus, the first question Jesus answers is, why do people reject him? Why are there varying responses to him? It's because of the state of man's heart. Um, the second question that he's going to answer is, why do some in the church not look like Christ? Why do some in the church not look like Christ? And the answer is, because the weeds have crept in. Uh, weeds are known for getting into places that they don't belong. I have a gravel driveway uh, at home, and I am constantly fighting the weeds. Um, it's amazing like how little um, they really need to, to, to grow there. I mean, they just, you know, I'll come out one day, you know, get rid of all the weeds, and the next day they just pop up all over the place. Weeds have this tendency to go where they don't belong. And some of the hardest weeds to deal with is, if you've done any gardening, you've probably seen this before. You know, you go out to your garden, and you'll see a weed that just cozies up right next to the plant that you planted. And it's like right next to it, and you can't spray anything on it, or you, you'll kill, you know, the plant that you like. And you can't really uproot it, because if you uproot it, you're going to uproot the, plant, the, the soil of the plant that you planted. So you have a choice. What are you going to do with that? In the parable, Jesus uh, talks about how the enemy has sowed weeds among the harvest. One of the most common crops in that day, and probably what he's referring to in this passage, is a wheat crop. And so they would grow the wheat, and uh, this actually happened. Sometimes an enemy would break into a field and would sow weeds, basically, as a form of retribution. And often the weed that they would use was called ryegrass. And ryegrass actually had some poisonous, bla poisonous black seeds um, that, you know, that, could, that could harm you. But the thing about ryegrass and wheat is, is when they're growing up, when they're, they're small, you can't tell which one is which. They look identical. 
And so you can't tell until the harvest, until they come to maturity. And so Jesus says that he's waiting for judgment for them to be sorted out. So you have a choice. If you have a, a, um, a field that has ryegrass and wheat, the first choice is you just uproot everything. Or you wait to the harvest and you see the weeds there, you realize that they're there, and you go and painstakingly sort out the weeds from the wheat. And so Jesus says that he's waiting to the judgment. Sometimes he uproots weeds in the church uh, in this life, but other times he waits until the judgment, waits till the harvest, so as not to uproot uh, the wheat, to uproot the crop. Sometimes we talk about scandals in the church. Maybe somebody um, that doesn't look like Christ, maybe someone who has a great platform that fell into some grave sin, um, People who said all the right words fit the part. And as believers, we can't forget that there's weeds in the church. Of course, it should grieve our hearts when someone turns away from Christ. Um, and sometimes the weeds, go the weeds go undetected for some time. It might look really good for a while, but in the end you see the fruit, which is poison. And again, sometimes God removes weeds from the church. In this present life, other times he waits until the final judgment. Can't tell you how many times I've experienced this in my own ministry. Uh, people who seem kind, sincere, wanting to grow in their faith, but in the, in the course of time it was revealed that they weren't seeking after God. God takes them away. Despite living in our individualistic world uh, that we live in, we often tend to judge people based upon their representatives. And what I mean by this is, imagine that you're going on vacation and you stay in a Hampton Inn. And say the Hampton Inn is, uh, it's really noisy, it's really dirty, and this is a really terrible experience. You just have a terrible time there. Now, what would you assume about that? Well, let's say you've never gone on vacation before, you've never stayed in a hotel before. You might say, well, Staying in a hotel is a terrible experience. Ter hotels are dirty. Hotels are loud. Hotels are terrible. So that's what you, you might think if you've never been in a hotel before. Or let's say you've never been into a Hampton Inn before, but you've been into other hotels. You might assume, well, Hampton Inns are dirty and uh, noisy and terrible places to be. Now, what's the reality? Reality is just your experience. It doesn't really say anything. Um, could be that this particular location, uh, maybe somebody called in sick, maybe it was extraordinarily busy, or maybe this particular location is not well managed. But your experience doesn't say anything about the brand of Hampton Inn or about hotels in general. All you know is your experience. And you think about the church, the church is an interesting organization because anyone can say they represent the church. And so you have people who are really not good people that represent the church. You have people that teach things that are completely opposed to God that represent the church. People who are filled with violence and hate that represent the church. And so there, there's lots of people who say they represent the church. Uh, and the sad part is sometimes people see, the, the, see those people. And, and kind of the, the thing that's hard to deal with sometimes is, you know, when you think about weeds versus a crop, the weeds often grow faster. And so you see the weeds. They're more visible than the crop.
And sometimes what people see is the weeds, the ones that have grown up fast, the ones that are kind of making noise, so to speak. And really, the true church is a church invisible. You can't see her. She's made up of believers from different denominations, different churches, different ethnicities. And yet oftentimes what people see when they think about the church is they think about the weeds. Think about the scandals. They think about the brokenness. Because weeds grow faster than anything else. Now we can't control that. We can't control how people see Christians. Um, All we can do is control ourselves and paint a different picture to those around us. But as believers, we need to realize that we live in enemy, enemy territory. And oftentimes enemies come inside church. And I'm not talking about just our church, but any any church, that evil comes inside. And so we can't be surprised when weeds uh, show up. So weeds come in the church, and so sometimes people don't look like Christ because the weeds have come in. And the final question that Jesus answers is, if the kingdom of God is real, why is it so small? If the kingdom of God is real, real, why is it so small? Why aren't more people believing in him. Why is it such a small movement? And I think one of the biggest lies that Satan tries to get us to believe is that we can't accomplish anything. That we can't accomplish anything with by ourselves or with a small group of people. That we're too small to affect real change. Um, there's an old proverb, African proverb that said, if you think that you're too small to affect change, try spending a night in a room with a mosquito. See the effect that that has. And actually, you know, you think about history, and history has been changed not by the masses, but by a relatively few group of people, by individuals, by small groups. Um, there's a few, a few years ago, a researcher, Eric Chenoweth, did a study of hundreds of protest movements uh, throughout the world, throughout history, and she found something incredible. She found that you only need to have a threshold of 3.5% of the population um, involved in your movement to initiate change. If you have 3.5% of the population, there's no movement that they, dis- that they studied throughout history that didn't affect change. And, and you're talking about big societal governmental changes, only 3.5%. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out small, and then it grows into something big. He goes on to say that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Uh, that day and age, what they would often do is they would take um, some dough from an existing piece of uh, bread or, or, or dough, and they would take it and put it with uh, the flour, and they'd mix that all together. Now, on the surface, when you first look at it, it doesn't look like it's doing anything, but over time, it expands and grows into something massive. And the amount of dough that was uh, indicated in this passage would have been enough to feed 100 people. So you don't see it at first, it's hidden, you don't know that the leaven is there, but it grows into something very large. A couple years ago, um, there was a Twitter account for um, a city, I think in, in California, and they started receiving attention for one of the tweets that they tweeted. And the tweet went like this, large boulder the size of a small boulder is completely blocking eastbound lane 145 at Silver Pick Road. Please use caution and watch for emergency vehicles in the area. Large boulder, the size of a small boulder. Doesn't seem to make much sense. Um, And so Twitter users just kind of had a lot of fun with this, and 
started wondering if, if there was something extraterrestrial happening, something that broke the laws of physics. Um, one user wrote, what's heavier, a large boulder the size of a small boulder or a small boulder the size of a large one, asking for a friend? And a different user wondered if perhaps the boulder was having self-esteem issues. Uh, another referenced a well-known paradoxical thought experiment, Schrodinger's boulder, both large and small at the same time. Still another offered a potential fa fashion solution. Perhaps the bowler is wearing Spanx or similar compression garment. That would explain how, how a large bowler could fit into the size of a small bowler. After they provided an update that had been removed, the sheriff's office provided a clarification. The bowler that fell onto Highway 145 at Silver Pick Road was approximately four foot by four foot by four foot. Not that large, but it weighed 10,000 pounds. So it was small, it was a small-sized boulder, but it weighed 10,000 pounds. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It seems small, but there's heaviness, there's a weight. God is moving in ways that we don't see. He's working behind the scene, scene accomplishing his purposes. We live in a world where it's not always easy to see the kingdom of God. Not everyone accepts the message of the gospel. They're varying response to Jesus. It's the narrow way. It's the narrow road. There are people in the church that look and act completely different to Jesus. And we need to recognize that there's often weeds in the church. Sometimes our numbers are small. It seems like what we're doing is insignificant. This passage was a reminder, however, that everything is going according to plan. That God hasn't, isn't surprised by anything that's happening. And God's purposes will be accomplished. There's a chaplain by the name of Helmer Hackel, and he tells this story. He says, in December 1958, I came to America from Germany on the USS Butner, a transport ship. After we left, we passed through the North Sea into the North Atlantic. Huge waves buffeted the ship, and every day seemed the same. Water, water everywhere to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All we could hear was the monotonous grinding of the ship's engine. Finally, five days later, the scene changed dramatically. There was water to the east and to the south, but to the west stood the Statue of Liberty leaning in the morning sun. We had come home. He says, walking by faith is like this. Waves of opposition battle us with no change in sight. In all directions there seems to be nothing, with the Lord seemingly asleep, until a special day arrives, revealing that we have been moving according to plan. God's plan is moving forward. People may reject it, Satan will try to thwart it, but God's kingdom is here, and God's kingdom is moving. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom that's come to earth, that through you we can have hope, we can have forgiveness, we can have a life forever with you. Lord, we thank you for this explanation that you give in the scripture of why not everyone accepts you, why sometimes people don't look like you in the church even. Why the kingdom of God starts small. Lord, as believers in Christ, help us all to do our part. Help us to be faithful in the things that you've called us to. Help us to walk forward in faith, to love those around us with your love. And so, in so doing, accomplish your purposes. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for calling us out of darkness and bringing us into your kingdom. 
In Christ's name I pray.